So in our series that we are doing here as we look at these pictures of these first century Christians, last week we saw uh, really a beautiful picture of these who received the word that the Apostle Peter had proclaimed. They were baptized, they were added to the Lord, about 3,000 people. And I think it is interesting then to ask the question, what are they now going to do? Uh, They've heard the gospel message, they have responded to it, but but what next? What is the the, the next thing that they're going to do? And that's what we're going to spend some time uh, focusing on, is I think it is interesting to see the pictures that are are given here. In, In verse 42, you notice there in Acts 2 verse 42, quite simply it tells us that they now devote themselves to spiritual things. And before we get into the details of that, just to think in general about the devotion that they now have. They are devoting themselves to the things of God. That becomes their focus. That becomes the thing that they are interested in. They're not saying now, okay, now back to your regularly scheduled program. We were all baptized now. Let's just go back to what we were doing before. But you notice these Christians all have a change of focus. A complete new devotion. In fact, it's listed there four things. The apostles teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. That is now their new focus. That is their new concern. This is what their attention is going to be truly devoted to. It's not going to be to hobbies, material interests, sports, politics, or some other interest. It is spiritual things. That is the the new direction for them. I think that's an important beginning point is that right out of the gate as these come to Christ, what are they going to do? They want to be devoted to God. They want to have a devotion to spiritual things. They want to get closer to God. And these are the things that they are going to get closer to God with. And I think it's important even to underscore something that I think is particularly interesting is it's not just simply they devoted themselves to spiritual things. But think about the the four things that they really devote themselves to. It's one of the reasons we're going to slow down over these words over the next few weeks. Really think about what these Christians now are, are truly devoted to. And that it's not that they are devoted to a number of things like uh, entertainment, social programs, you know, things like that. It's, it's the apostles' teaching. It's breaking bread. It's prayers. It's fellowship. That's the thing. Those are the things that they really want to zero in on because ultimately we are supposed to be people who are focused on spiritual things. And I, I want you to think about why that would be so critically important. So that if we're not the ones who are engaging and focusing and devoting ourselves to spiritual things and giving people this avenue, then who's going to do it? Now, there are are plenty of entities, people and organizations for all the other things that go on in this world, for all of the physical things and, and things that we find important and necessary But if we go away from the apostles teaching, breaking of bread, prayers and fellowship, who's going to fill that void? Who's going to do that? Who is going to lead in spiritual things? 
Who's going to be the one to proclaim these things to the world? I think it is so important that we see that we as the people of God, we are the ones to fill that void. And why a devotion to spiritual things must be of the utmost importance. It must be the primary thing. It is the thing that matters most. Whatever was going on in their lives and wherever these people lived and whatever they were doing up until this moment in their lives, they dropped all that, changed all of that, and devoted themselves to these things. It's a dramatic change of what you see these people doing. And I think it's important for us to, just before we even get into the details, just ask ourselves, if we're distracted by the world, if we make our focus the physical, then who's going to address those spiritual needs? If we make the things that we do, even as we come together about the physical, and not a a critical, intense focus on spiritual things, then who's going to do it? That's one of the reasons, among many reasons, why you're not going to come in, find cups of coffee and all kinds of other paraphernalia, physical things. So this has to be the spiritual focus. The reason we come together is a, a, a spiritual intensity. And you see that happening here with, with the people of God as they come together. And before we go on a little bit more, the four areas here that are focused on Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Don't those things sound so ordinary? (laughs) You think about here they come together and isn't that just, okay, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, prayers. You read that, it's easy to blow right by that. It just seems so ordinary. That's that's all they were doing. That's, That's the sum total of the focus. But what I want to submit to you as we go through this series and we spend some time in this paragraph is to realize that this is the grounding of faith and this is where the growth of faith happens. These four things, though seemingly ordinary, seemingly insignificant, are absolutely extraordinary. We're going to have the faith that God wants us to have. And if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be. I think it is interesting. We'll spend our time then in their devotion to the apostles teaching. Verse 42, they devote themselves to the apostles teaching. Now, right out of the gate, without spending a whole lot of time on this, it is interesting just to note they must have considered the apostles teaching authoritative if they come together for that purpose. We want to spend our time in the apostles teaching. They did not say we just want the red letters. We just just tell us what what the they want to hear what the apostles have to say. They want to hear their teachings. You tell us the word of God. You tell us God's will. We want to hear it from you. What is the word of God? And that is ultimately what they are doing is that they are showing a devotion to knowing God's will. They want to know what God has to say. They want to know what his words are. And I think that needs to be underscored to us in our minds that a key characteristic 
of being the people of God is a devotion to the Word of God. A key characteristic of being the people of God is a desire to know God's will. That's what they're doing. They're stopping everything and saying, you apostles, teach us the will of God. Tell us what God has to say. Communicate the word of God to us. We want to know the word of God. This is such an important characteristic. And it's a characteristic that the New Testament is always highlighting, always emphasizing that the people of God care about the word of God. For example, Jesus said that in John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You know, when Jesus stops and says, here's who my disciples really are, that should awaken our senses that we go, oh, I need to listen to this. When Jesus says, here's who I know my true disciples are, notice something that we would say, oh, that's ordinary. Continue in my word. My people, my disciples spend time in the word of God. That is their focus. That is their concern. That's the first thing listed for us for these these Christians who now have heard this good news. They want to know more. They are going to continue in it. And notice the result, Jesus says. You're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But that result is important. This is going to give you what you need for life. This is going to change you. This is going to give you a whole new way of thinking. My disciples continue in my word. Peter said similarly in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, like newborn infants desire the milk of the word. Now, just just stop a minute. We don't have any newborn infants in the building today. That's why it's so quiet. How do newborn infants handle their desire for milk? (laughs) Uh, Dear mother, when you get a chance, could I have some milk, please? Uh, No. (laughs) Screaming until they get milk. Oh, Peter's giving that imagery. That's what the people of God are supposed to be like. Nothing satisfies except the Word of God. That's the picture. You've tried that with an infant, right? Just give a pacifier. One second. (laughs) There it goes. Nothing else can satisfy. No substitute. And you can't distract. Nothing's going to work. You can try. You might get a minute of distraction. But pretty soon, you're just going to give up and go, okay, that's what they're going to have to have. That's the picture that Peter gives. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word so that by it you will grow up into your salvation. You understand its benefits. You are going to grow to salvation. This is going to build your faith. It changes everything. And it gives you everything you need. I love the ending. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. 
If you try this, if you really give yourself to it, you're not going to go back. Nothing else satisfies. Everything else is empty. This is what you need. And those who understand that, disciples grasp a desire like a newborn infant. They really give themselves over to it. And so this image really shows us something that I think is important, that ultimately we would look at ourselves and realize that we are not the people of God without having that kind of commitment to the Word. We're simply not the people of God. If we do not have this kind of desire and commitment and focus for the word of God. I think that's such a critical thing to think about because we live in a time right now, a religious culture where you're trying to make the word of God and the teachings of God ultimately as uplifting and fun as possible. Let's just, you know, let's just have a pep talk. Just let's just come here. I'll give you a 10 minute rally. Yay, you. Yay, Christian. See you next week. <laughs> you are great. <laughs> We live in a culture like that. that It's just, here's the religious air we breathe. Yay, you're doing such a good job. But think about how often the scriptures have to tell us, look out, look at your life, be aware of the, the decisions you're making. Here's the warnings you need. Don't go that way. It's going to lead to doom. God is constantly encouraging while also reminding at the same time. That we would want to be people who want to really dig into the Word of God. That really want to know what God has to say. And that we would want more of it. As much as we can get of it, not less of it. We live in a time again that's, well, let's just, let's just, what's the point of lessons? What's the point of the Word of God? Let's just make them short and sweet and move on. We should never want to have that attitude. We should never be in a mindset of let's try to get as little of the word as quickly as possible. I want you to think about every week. God gives us 168 hours. And in our best weeks of 168 hours, we have four here. Just think about that. Out of 168 hours given to us in a week, on our best week, four. That's our best week. It's not the kind of picture you you get a sense of what these people are doing. As was read for us by Frank. Every day they're in the courts. Every day they're getting into the Word. Every day they're teaching. Every day spiritual things and the Word of God. They're the focus. They're the things that matter. So it's important for us to evaluate how we perceive the Word of God. Do we really want all of it? Do we want to really know every bit of what God has to say? This might be a challenge for some of you. If you grew up in the pews and you might be uh, old enough, you might have been taught, well, the only... Scripture that matters are the 27 books of the New Testament. The other 39 are not that important anymore. And then 
of those uh, 27 books. Who can figure out that last one? So we'll never talk about that one. So let's keep it to 26. Well, there's four Gospels. We only really need one of those. We'll blend four of those together and do a harmony of the Scriptures. So we'll only have one of those. So that'll get us down to 22. Uh, And the book of Acts, man, that's boring because it's just maps and charts and geography and Paul going places. So we'll get that to 21. We have to think about how do we present the Word of God? How do we look at it? Do we really want all of it? Do we really want to know what Zephaniah has to say? I mean, that might be some of the cleanest pages in our Bibles, right? Zephaniah. That is a book. That's in there somewhere. Very short. Very small. I just want us to think about the attitude that we have about the Word of God and see that the first thing that they are focused, the idea of devoted to, they are continually giving themselves to the Word of God. Do we have that kind of longing? Is that our kind of desire? To just kind of take a mental picture of your 168 hours. Think about what you do every day throughout the week. All the hours that God has given to you. And would it be an accurate thing to say that you desire the Word of God? That that is your focus? That you could say, I am devoted to it. Because that's what these people are doing. First thing that they are focused on, I want to know God's will. I want to hear His Word. I desire it. Let me just challenge us. Why this is so important. Say, what is the big deal? Why is this so important? There's a lot of reasons why it's important. I'm only going to zero on two two important reasons why this would be so important. But as we were just reading with what Jesus said and what Peter said, knowing the Word of God is the only way to be able to have the right ideas about life. You and I are infiltrated with massive amounts of misinformation about how to look at life. That, that's, that's the culture we're in. We have social media. We have television. We have movies. We have books. We have radio. We have all kinds of ways for the world to try to mold us and change our way of thinking. And there's only one way to know what the truth is. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We just read that in the context of those who are my disciples continue in my word. And it's the only way to be able to know what to make of this crazy world. It's the only way to know when somebody says something, is that right or is that wrong? Should I really think about life that way? Or is that crazy? Are they on to something? Have I had the, the wrong idea? Or do they have the wrong idea? Well, how are we going to know? With all of the world that we live in, with all the ideas that float around, with all of the conflicting concepts of what are values and what are morals and what is truth, how are we ever going to know? There's only one way to know. And it's not by me yelling at you, it's by you knowing the Word of God. You have to know it. You have to know it. My four hours in your 168 is not remotely enough. You have to know it. You have to devote yourself to it. It's the only way to know. 
how to be able to look at life, how to be able to understand all the noise that is going on and how to filter through. We all need a filter. Don't we wish we had good social media filters? Don't we wish we had good news filters? Don't we wish we had all kinds of filters? Here's God saying, I've got a filter for you. If you know the word of God, you can filter through the noise and you'll know what you ought to believe. You'll know what's right and wrong. And you'll know what's light and what's darkness. And you'll know what's truth and what's error. Probably all the more we need that. In a culture that moves further and further away from God, and as the noise increases, trying to mold our thinking and change the way we look at the world, here's Jesus saying, I will give you my truth and that truth will set you free. There's a freedom in knowing the Word of God. Now, let me address an excuse, a a challenge that we often have with this. Let me try to jump into your minds because it's what do we all think? I don't have time for that. Don't you know how busy things are? Don't you know my schedule? Don't you know all the things I have to do? how crazy my work schedule is and how crazy my family schedule is and my kids have to be here X, Y, and Z. They have to play 16 sports all in the exact same hour, have 40 different uh, clubs that meet at the exact same time. I know the crazy. Trust me, I've, I've, I've been in the crazy. I've looked one of the joys of moving out of the crazy here soon. <laughs> it's crazy. All the things that go on. But... Let me challenge you for a moment. In your 168 hours, we were too busy because of our schedules and too busy because of family and too busy because of, you know, just chaos and craziness and all of that. Did we have time to watch TV or get on the internet or peruse social media? Did we have time for our hobbies or other activities? The thing that I have found to be challenging, you've heard me say this before, but one of the things that we say to things that we don't want to do is I was too busy for that because that's an acceptable excuse in our culture. I was just too busy. I really wanted to do that, but I was just too busy. I just, you know, stuff, things, you know, life blew up. But if you're fair and honest, you'll realize we all do what we want to do. And we make time in our day to do things that we want to do. There was time in there somewhere where we turned some kind of device on. <laughs> we elected it to be the, 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 the TV or be our device and our phone. There was time for that downtime. And so I want us to really think about what we often think in terms of the word of God is I was too busy for that. But we weren't too busy for a myriad of other things that absolutely are time wasters. Not that they may not be useful to you. I'm not saying that and I'm not saying that they're sinful. But in comparison to what knowing the word of God can do for your life, it's a waste. It may have been valuable. It may have significance. But to not know God's will, 
to not get to know the Word of God because I wanted to see what my friend ate for dinner. You know, there it is, you know. Neat. Happy face emoji. Thumbs up. We make some bad exchanges with our time sometimes. Don't we just make some bad exchanges with our time? Things that are ultimately useless. And they're entertaining, they're enjoyable. But to be fair, we can't say we didn't have time. Can't say that, well, I just didn't have time for God. We did. We just didn't want to. That's ultimately the challenge that I want to make with what this lesson is about is that we would see that we have a decision. We are making that decision every day. Every day, 24 hours given to us. Every week, 168 hours. What will you do with the 168? How much of that is going to be given to God in your 168? We have all kinds of things we have to do. We have to do work. We have to do family. We have to do schedules. We have to go places. No doubt about it. It can't be 168 all God. It's just not possible. But should it be more than four? Should it be more than four? The word of God is something that says that they devoted themselves to. That's what they gave their time to. And so important for us to do it because it's the only way to know how to look at life correctly. It's the only way that we will have the proper filter on how to see life. Second, very close to that is what Peter said. Peter said it was the only way that we'll grow in our faith and salvation. It's the only way that we will come to salvation. It's the only way that we will strengthen our faith. If you feel like you have a weak faith, you're going through difficulties, things are hard, life is challenging. And I would just say in 2020, who would not say, uh, who couldn't say life is not challenging? We're all on the board. 2020 stinks. It's been a rough year. This has been tough. And faith has been absolutely challenged. It's been hard. And if you're struggling, the word of God is the place to go. The word of God is the place of faith and strength. That's what Peter is saying. Come to the word of God. Desire it like this newborn infant because by doing so, you will grow your faith into salvation. It's going to give you what you need. It's the water on the plant that you need. It's the nutrients you need. It's the sunlight that you need. Think of yourself like a plant and we can be depriving ourselves of the very things that we need to have a strong and vibrant faith, a strong relationship with God because we don't give ourselves of the word of God it's just 4 out of 168 and there's not more time given to it there's far more time given to other things and then we wonder why it's hard to serve God we wonder why it's hard to do right we wonder why it's hard to be strong in faith And we have to look at what are we doing with our 168 hours? Are we giving ourselves ultimately to the word of God? God gave us a warning. I just want you to know, he just kind of put it on the the label. You know, it seems seems like everything has a warning label on it, even coffee now. Warning. You're going to be hurt. Here's God's warning. Less of God's word is going to be painful. Not knowing God. 
not really understanding what God has for your life is going to make life extremely painful. Hosea told the people of Israel who had neglected God, who had no knowledge of God anymore, didn't care about God. They knew who he was. It wasn't like they were just ignorant. But they didn't know him in terms of relationship. And so notice what God had to say about that. He, he tells them in Hosea chapter 4 and, and verse 6, he says, they are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Notice, they just didn't want it. You just, God's saying, you just didn't want to know me. And just understand the warning label to that. If you don't want to know me, your life's going to be hard. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Just disaster comes upon the people of Israel in the scriptures because they said, we just don't care. I'm sure they said the same thing. We're busy. We got stuff to do, places to be, things are going on. Life happens. And here God just stands back and says, if you don't want to know me, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a disaster for you. So we get a picture here in in Acts 2 that this is a, a learning people of God. This is a learning church, and there is a responsibility of God's people to want to know God. And to want to learn. And I want to then end with some encouraging ways that we can devote ourselves more fully to the word of God. To to be like what we see these people doing here as they immediately devote themselves to the word of, of God. Give you some of these things. It's been a, a little bit since I've gone through these, but because we're at the almost the beginning of the year, these are good New Year's resolutions, because 2021 is going to be so much better, right? We'll talk about that, but yeah, okay, sure. 2020 was going to be so much better than 2019. Remember that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Number one, never just read a Bible verse. <laughs> if you want to get really into the Word of God and enjoy it, for it to really become something that you can't put down, to really develop a taste and be like the, the newborn infant that desires the milk of the word. One of the things that we have to do is we have to stop just reading a Bible verse. Because the Bible was not written like it was intended for. Just read one verse and that's your like B12 vitamin for the day and you're going to be good to go. And that's it. You know, shot in the arm, you're a okay. That's not what the Bible was intended for. The Bible was never built that way. It is amazing that the scriptures are built in terms of poetry and narrative and prophecy, songs. There's all kinds of different formats that you see in the word of God. And sometimes I think it would be fun to have been in the first century just for the sense of seeing in the first century. Not only did you not have verses, and you didn't have chapters, and you didn't have Bibles. You had individual books. So it just kind of was the standalone book. Imagine if you actually literally came to worship every Sunday and you carried 66 individual books. 
It would feel different, though, because you would see the standalone nature of, of the book. It's, it's meant to be by itself. It's not meant for you to crack a book open somewhere in the middle, read one line and go, well, I've got it. That's all I needed to know today. That's not how it was built. So the first thing I'd say is to appreciate what you have. Pick a book. Stay in the book. And really enjoy what the book is is trying to give to you. And the book that you pick, ultimately, then to think about why it is written. One of the things that I think that we often miss and what makes Bible reading boring or reading books of the Bible boring is as we don't know what to look for. I think there is a value to read your Bible in a year. So don't misunderstand me when I now shoot it. Uh, there's value for, for that. I encourage that. I've had reading plans on that in the back in the back table. But our goal shouldn't be read this as fast as I can so that I can now have completed it in a one year and then I can get back to my TV show and I can, you know, check the box that I read it. But that you would read it because you want to hear what the book or the verse section that you're reading, paragraph or chapter, what its purpose is. To really read with that purpose. Why is this book here? Why was it written? What is it trying to tell the original audience? And what is it trying to tell me? It's one of the reasons why I think Acts became boring is we just turned it into a map study. Here, here goes Paul, as if that was the reason for the book of Acts was let's track Paul all over the countryside. Yeah, you know, purple line here and a red line here. That's why, that's why God put that. He wanted to make sure you could use your colored pencils in a map well. Or we read the Old Testament that way. You know, it's just like, oh, there goes the people out of the bondage and slavery and into the wilderness. And Why are those books there? Is the story of David that we've been going through so that you would just say, oh, well, boy, bad stuff happened to David. What an interesting thing. Read with purpose. Why is is God telling us about David? Why is God telling us about Moses? Why is God tracking Paul all over the place? Why is that there? There's something bigger that God is trying to communicate to us. Put a purpose behind your reading. Look for it. Have a lens on it. Search for it. Why is this paragraph here? Why is this section here? Why does this book exist? What is this all about? And I'll tell you as an aside, when we go through different books of the Bible, you want to know what takes me the longest to figure out? What was the purpose of that book? Because it's easy just to read through and go, okay, done. You know, Philippians 4 chapters, done. Why did Paul write that? And why did God say, let's keep that letter of all the letters that Paul wrote. Let's keep that for all history. There's an excitement in reading the word of God and searching for that. Paul, what are you trying to say? God, what are you trying to say through Moses? What are you trying to say through David? So what is the purpose of the book you read, the chapter you read, what paragraph you read? Really look for why is that here? Even that's what we're doing right now. Why this paragraph? Acts 2, 42 to 47. Why does he want to tell us about what these Christians are doing? Because God wants you to see his people have a spiritual focus. 
Look at how their lives changed and what they devoted themselves to. Number three, can I just say it this way? We got to slow down when we read. (laughs) Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, and think about what you read. Slow down and think about what you read. I think this is so important. We blow over words, we blow over sentences without thinking about the implications of what was just said. It is interesting that Jesus would turn to the religious leaders in his day and time and he would ask this silly question. Have you not read? And they'd say, of course we've read. And they had that thing memorized. Of course they read. And Jesus goes, no, you haven't. You didn't read it for understanding. You read it. You memorized it. But you didn't get it. That's why Jesus tells them, you know all those things were about me, right? If you'd read it right, you would have seen that. But you didn't read it right. You read it to read it. You didn't read it to understand. You didn't get into it. And so digest it. Slow down and read over it. Let me give you a hint as to how to slow down. Given you this hint before, I'll give it to you again. Take your Bible, use highlighters, pens, colored pencils, get a wide margin Bible, have a journaling Bible, have a notebook with you. Slow down and just write down what you're seeing. It makes you slow down and think about it. You learned this skill in college. You learned this skill when you were in college and in high school. So the only way to comprehend whatever you're reading in that textbook was to have to like highlight it, take notes about it, talk yourself through it. Same thing. Slow down for comprehension. Don't just blow through the paragraph, but really get a sense of what it is trying to teach us and say to us. I think that's important. Number four, apply the text. Apply the text. Once you have your notebook and your pens and your pencils and your journaling Bible or whatever you're going to use to help you slow down, always ask this question. How's that changed my life? Never just read this thing and go, well, that was fascinating. <laughs> oh, interesting. Done. How does this help me? God put these words in here so that it would change your life. So it would help you. That would build your faith. You would grow to salvation. How does what I just read do that? Even Zephaniah, it'll do that. Even Acts, it'll do that. Give yourself to the Word of God, asking yourself the questions. How do I apply this text? What am I supposed to learn? Number five, let me encourage you to jumpstart your reading with two things that you can do to jumpstart your reading. Number one, anytime we ever have something new that gets you excited. We all love new stuff. New stuff's neat. New stuff's pretty. New stuff's exciting. Buy yourself a new Bible. It'll make you excited to want to open it. My wife can tell you, I sit there with a brand new Bible and they overspray the gilding. They have to pull the pages apart. So I'll sit there and pull all the pages apart because it's so annoying that they spray it so heavy and they're all stuck together because it's like a stuck block until you go pull them all apart. Buy yourself a new Bible. It'll make you open it. It'll make you look at it. You'll go, wow, that's really pretty. That's really neat. So don't buy yourself like one of those newsprint ones with a five point font because you won't want to look at that. 
Get yourself something that you'll want to open. You get excited about having an, a, a new Bible. I'd encourage you even to try a different translation. You get so used to hearing something one way. And our tendency when we read a different translation is, oh, there's something wrong with that. There's not something wrong with it. <laughs> you just haven't heard it that way. There's a reason why the reading is the way that it is. Allow yourself the opportunity to try a different translation. You want to know the fun thing now is last time I did this, I think only the ESV had done it. I brought in those little scripture journals, really teeny, $4. You can have your home book of the Bible on one side of the paper is the, is the text and the other side of the paper is completely blank. And you can sit there and write all your notes. Now, all of the major translations have that. All of them. So now you don't even have to be an ESV person. You can pick any translation you want. Get yourself a scripture notebook, big, bold print on there. Gives you a whole other thing, on a blank page on the other side. You can write your notes. You can color, draw, highlight, do all the things you want to do as you doodle away and note all the neat things that God said. If you saw my journaling Bible that I use for the Sunday Bible class, you'd see it's just full of colors. It's just colors everywhere. Notes on the side, colors all over the text. It helps you engage your mind and it gets you excited about it. So buy yourself a new Bible. It gets you excited right out of the gate. Get yourself a different translation so that the words aren't the same old words that you heard when you were a kid. Get yourself some colored pencils, highlighters, whatever color, mark, highlight. Get yourself engaged in the text so that you will finally be able to see really the beauty and the glory of God. When you read Read to see God. Don't read for rules. Don't look for, okay, do this and don't do that. That's a very surface level reading. Read to see God. Not only ask yourself, what am I learning to change my life? But ask yourself, what is this reading teaching me about God? Because that is the central purpose of everything in here. Is it wants to show you who God is. What is this saying to me about God? And how does that change my life? And what can I do differently? I believe that will help you jumpstart your reading. Jumpstart your devotion. Give yourself some time to it. This week, your 168 hours. What are you going to do with it? And I'd ask for you to say 15 minutes, 15 minutes. I won't pick up the device for that 15 minutes. And I'll pick this up instead. And I'll get my highlighter. I'll get my pens and pencils. And I'll give myself to the word of God. And I'll show that I really am devoted to what God has to say. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for your words. Thank you for not leaving us without direction and guidance and teaching. Thank you for preserving these amazing books of prophecies and narratives, songs and poetry. Thank you for revealing the beauty of your mind through your word. God, we pray that we would be far more devoted to your word. Lord, help us to not be so distracted. God, forgive us for we live in a time that is just so amazingly distracting. And we allow so many other influences. We allow our devices and we allow our electronics to simply get in the way of having a relationship with you. 
And so God, forgive us for doing that. And God, we pray that you would really give us a heart for you and a heart for getting to know you. Give us the desire we need. Make your word be as sweet as honey on a honeycomb like David spoke of so that we would truly desire you above all else. Lord, we pray as we read your word that you would change our hearts, you would change our minds and help us to become the people that you want us to be. And God, we pray for growth in our faith and that you'd be with us in our journey with you as we continue to focus on you and focus on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment here, we're going to sing an invitation song. If we can help you come to the Lord Jesus in any way, we do want to, to extend that invitation to you. We want to give you that opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. We want you to see how good God is and how great the word of God is to enjoy. I live then the, the best life ever because I get to do this every day. And I cannot tell you how exciting it is. I promise you that I grew up thinking it would not be exciting. I spent all of my childhood, I'm a PK, my dad's a preacher, so I spent all of my life saying there's no way I'm ever going to do this. No way, no way, no way. No chance. <laughs> and then you taste and see how good this is. And it gets you. And I want that for you. I want you to enjoy the Word of God. I want it to change your life. I want it to be the foundation for your life that God wants it to be. Will you give yourself to it? If we can help you in any way do that, won't you come while we stand, while we sing?